It's with a heavy heart that we release this podcast with Brent Henley. Sadly, Brent passed away after our interview. We offer condolences to his family, colleagues, and extensive network of friends. Brent was beloved for his wit and wisdom and always quick to offer uplifting thoughts to others. We will miss him dearly. May God bless you, Brent Henley. This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We tape our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General, together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Brent Henley, founder of the Pyramid Group, joins us today. Brent works with clients to increase performance in sales, customer service, supervision, and leadership. He is also well known for conducting executive retreats for strategic planning and organizational growth. Many listeners know Brent Henley for his leadership in running a simulated society known as SimSoc for Leadership Lafayette and other chambers of commerce and organizations, as I think we'll find out. Participants are forever changed as they experience real-life societal challenges they've never encountered. A graduate of Centenary College, who also earned a master's in industrial and organizational psychology, Brent authored The Nexus Initiative, which discusses why networking is broken and why giving is more powerful than taking. Brent, I want to welcome you to Discover Lafayette, and I'm really interested in learning how you help improve human performance. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Jan. Yeah. It's always good to sit down and get to visit with you. Yeah, but you know, when I think of you, it's it's always, um, your name is synonymous with Simsaw, but there's so much more to what you do. So this is an opportunity to share with people your background in psychology and what led you to this and maybe how your training has helped you help others with the COVID, you know, all the transitions we've had to go through. So you want to jump in with your early it, it, yeah. training? Or? Um, so, uh, you know, I went to Centenary actually to become a United Methodist minister. Oh. And so <clears throat> while I was there, though, I discovered through an internship at Broadmoor United Methodist Church that uh, 
full-time pulpit ministry was really not my calling. And so um, I, I switched degrees and ended up getting an undergraduate in sociology and a grad in a uh, undergraduate in business. So you were at Centenary, though, thinking I, you would be a minister. I was I was purely planning to come out and be a United Methodist or minister. Methodist. Yeah, that's so cool. And so um, I'm glad you found out early, though. You oh know, yeah. In your in your uh, career. Yeah, and 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 I had a lot of good mentors there because when I first shared with the School of Church Careers executive director that I didn't think this was my calling. He said, then go figure out what your calling is and let's make that happen. Yeah. He wasn't going to force me to be a minister. Right. He said, there are enough there are enough miserable ministers out there already, uh-huh. so we don't want another one. That was kind, though. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so I ended up getting a degree in sociology and a degree in business, d- double degree. And, uh, sh- and, and while I was doing that, I was waiting tables at a really good steakhouse in Shreveport called Mississippi River Company. And this is when Louisiana Downs had first got started. Uh, downtown Square was hopping. This was the best day. Had the best prime rib in town. I was their head waiter. Oh. And... <clears throat> And so I hired. I hired all the way. I hired all the serving staff. I trained the serving staff. I was doing this as a senior in college. Uh, it was owned by Dobbs House, a, a big restaurant corporation. They they were hoping that I would become a management trainee and and and, and open and, and do a restaurant. I did not want to do restaurants the rest of my That's life. That's rough, huh? Hours and. Um, but I learned yeah. a lot about people waiting mm-hmm. tables. I think everybody ought to go wait tables and be a bartender. You're going to learn a lot about people. That's true. And uh, I had a particular client uh, who asked for me every Saturday night. He and his wife. And um, and they they would make a reservation uh, just for me, and he talked to me about coming to work for his company. He 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 and a partner would buy underperforming businesses, mm-hmm. and then they would make them profitable, and then sometimes keep them and sometimes harvest them, uh, you know, resell yeah. them. Uh, but he had a variety of different businesses: printing company, bowling alleys, taekwondo schools. <laughs> I mean, whatever he thought he could get value out mm-hmm. of. And he was looking for somebody to run his HR department because he had 110 employees, but not a, not a formal HR department. I applied for the job and I got the job, and I had no idea, you know, what an HR person. You weren't does. trained in I, that. I, no. I was, you know, I, could, I, could, I was hiring waiters, but yeah. you know, I wasn't hiring other people. Mm-hmm. So I joined the local Sherm chapter in Shreveport, yeah. and 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 they Society were Society of Human Resource yeah. Managers, and they, uh, they all of those folks uh, were very gracious in giving me their time to teach me. You know, here's what employee jackets look like, and here's what you can ask, what you can't ask. And I took mm-hmm. the Sherm tests and all those kind of things, and and so in my first two months of working there, I found out that the company was paying three people who were no longer employed. The, 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 because the processes that the company had just didn't let accounting and payroll know that people were no longer employed, so payroll was just still paying people. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> so I put all of those. So I, when I stopped that and got restitution for the money, I became a hero because mm-hmm. I made up my annual salary in, in three days. And uh, but got a got an HR department on the ground. Did that for about a year, and then John came into my office one day and said, "We're growing at a big pace. We need somebody to help us really um, grow with the company. We want to make you president." President. President of the company. How 20, old were you? Twenty-four years old. All right. Twenty-four years president of the company. <laughs> Kelly, I said, Kelly's in here with us. My yeah. daughter. That would be an opportunity. <laughs> so I, I said, so 
what what is it you really want me to do? I know what you know, they Because I have an idea of what president does. But so we we uh, you he looked that one up. Huh? Yeah. Well, we, we he and his partners and I sat down for about a week and kind of worked out what that really was. And what it really was was I was <laughs> going to be director of operations. I was going to operationally run the company while they went out and found new greenfield yeah. projects. You keep your eye on the ball though. Everybody's showing up for work and you know, doing exactly. their job. Yeah. So, because we had all these variety of businesses, mm-hmm. although we had leaders in those businesses, my job was to make sure those leaders were on point, yeah. and that we were meeting our performance goals of whatever company it was. So, I, we we grew the company from fourteen million a year to forty million a year in eight years. Oh my gosh! Um, we had a proprietary school division. We sold the University of Phoenix their first campus, and you were old by then, thirty-two. Yeah. So wow, Brent. So. I was supposed to get a, so here I am. I'm, it's eight years later. I'm 32 yeah. years old. I've I've got a couple of kids, um, and uh, I'm supposed to get a bonus. It's Christmas Eve, and and uh, the two partners come into my office uh, 30 minutes before our annual Christmas party and tell me they're not going to give me the bonus. That they found another business to buy. They're going to spend that money on that business, and and that. Uh, and I said, well, that's just not fair. I've you know I've right. I've worked for this and this is what I've been going for and and they say well you know it's just life and we know you're not going to leave you've got two kids you've got a company car you know you're not going anywhere so I stood up and I handed them the keys to the business and I went home and I told my wife I've just quit my job and, on Christmas Eve yeah. on Christmas Eve and it sounds I, like a so, Scrooge kind of story here yeah so uh, what are you going to do I'm, uh, I'm going to I think I'm going to start a consulting business you know, I've hired a bunch of consultants in my eight years here. I kind of see what they did. Uh-huh. So the day after Christmas was a Monday. I started calling. I, I started dialing for dollars, I call it. I started dialing and called my consultants and said, I'm going to start a consulting business. Will you help me? And uh, the answer was unequivocally yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my friends in Alabama told me to call Larry Wilson in Minnesota. Larry Wilson was president of a company called Wilson Learning, which is the world's largest training and development company. I called Larry, told him about my background. He said, uh, why don't you fly to Minnesota and let's have a conversation. Oh, wow. He said, I've got nobody representing us in uh, in, in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I got everywhere else. I don't have that. I flew to Minnesota. Larry met me for two days, and then he um, uh, he gave me what's called an agency. It's like a franchise yeah, of Wilson for Learning. For this region. For no upfront cost at all. Wow. Just go do it. And you're still affiliated. And we're with still, we're 30 years later, we're still affiliated with Wilson Learning. Gosh. Yeah. So, what a, there was no plan in your life for all this. It really unfolded. Yeah, it just unfolded. Uh, seeking, you know, just taking advantage of whatever opportunities are out there to, you mm-hmm. know, really do that kind of stuff. So you you learn quickly though. It sounds like you went from being trusting and a loyal employee to realizing that, you know, sometimes management isn't doing the right thing. I'm not saying they were bad people, but they did no. not give you a fair shake. Right. Uh, you know, and it's and that's what's led it me took to you be. For granted. Yeah. Let, it, hey, look, they were generous. They they paid for my master's degree. They paid for my tuition at Louisiana Tech to get a master's in IO psychology. They let me be on the board of the Shreveport Chamber of Commerce. They let me do mm-hmm. some stuff on weekends. They gave me a country club membership. I mean, they were generous in those ways. But what they what they failed to recognize is keeping promises. And when you don't keep promises with your employees, then you're setting yourself up for for 
just horrible failure Mm -hmm. because they will, if I had stayed with the company, I might have taken sabotage kinds of efforts to make sure that they weren't successful. I would have not put the energy into a new project to make sure it was successful. I might have thought about stealing from them because they didn't give me my bonus. I mean, this is what happened. When I I see newspaper reports of somebody embezzling money or stealing, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that they were bad. Probably something happened that triggered that. You think so? yeah, to make to make them say not not in every case. There are some cases where people just dumb yeah. and they just steal. But there are some cases where people do that. But hey, our audience knows businesses, maybe their own businesses, where people have purposely sabotaged something in that company, torn a piece of equipment, not paid attention to a customer issue. Mm-hmm. They've done that, and that's happened for a reason. And the reason is because they might not have kept promises with folks. Wow. So. Um, I wanted to make sure that the kind of clients that we worked with were not only growing clients, but uh, their leaders were believers that people were what make their organization. Mm-hmm. And that when you invest in people, you're going to get better things, that you can keep your promises, that they have a, a set of well-documented and practiced values. So people don't just hire you. You kind of interview them to make sure it's a good fit yeah. before you get involved. Yeah. Uh, 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 a couple of years ago, a IT company CEO called me and he said, hey, I, I hear you fix people. I said, well, I don't really well, fix people. Good, yeah, but <laughs> I don't fix people, but what do you got? He says, I got low morale. I went and talked to him and he, he spent the next 45 minutes telling me what was wrong with employee A, what was wrong with employee B, etc. And so after he got through telling me all eight employees... Everybody had a problem. Everybody had a problem, mm-hmm. terrible problems. And I said, so who hired these people? And he goes, well, I did. And I said, so the problem is not them, it's you. We need to work on you. And he says, well, I, I'm not ready to be worked on. So when you're ready to be worked on, let me know. But mm-hmm. no, we're not going to, I'm not going to force you to get worked on. Because so nothing would change. Nothing would change. change huh? Exactly. So yeah. we, I look for people who are looking for change, who are looking to get better, who really sincerely want to do it. Are most people desperate by the time they come to you, or are some of them very proactive, realizing that things could be better? Like, you know, very few people come to me when they have that first sneeze. <laughs> and it's, it's just like mm-hmm. all of us, you know, we're, 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 there's pain. Mm-hmm. And, and the more pain, um, the, the, uh, that's fine. It co- come to me with all the pain you got, it probably means you're going to be willing to do stuff uh-huh. to make things happen. Fine. So I want to go, before we, uh, this is so interesting, I want to drill into it. Were you from North Louisiana? Is no, that why? I grew up in Oklahoma. You did? So mm-hmm. how did you end up at Centenary and then in that part of the state? Like, what led you to Louisiana? So um, most of, everybody in my family uh, went to Oklahoma colleges, and so... Uh, like in Norman, where'd they go? Like, Norman, Oklahoma, uh-huh. Oklahoma State. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the two big colleges. My mother was Secretary of State in she Oklahoma. Was? Yeah. That is so cool. My father was Chief of Surgery of a big hospital. When was she Secretary of State? She was Secretary of State under David Walters. Uh-huh. Uh, that was back in the late 80s. I bet I Early her. 90s. You might we'll have. talk about that off um, Sure. Off audio. <clears throat> um, very politically astute woman. Wow. Uh, worked for the DNC when Bill Clinton was uh, mm-hmm. uh, president. Uh, uh, worked for, got mayors elected, ran a company that that uh, got you elected and do stuff. So I have uh-huh. lots of stories about all that. Anyway, 
since I wanted to be a minister, there were, you know, Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University are not known for putting out ministers. And so, and uh, uh, Centenary had a program. And so, mm. and they offered me a full ride, oh. tuition, room and board, That's full a great ride. School. So, and, it, and, and I had gone to a high school, Putnam City High School, three grades that had 3,000 students. There were 1,000 people in my graduating mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. There were 890 people at Centenary total. Yeah. What yeah. a culture shock, yeah. huh? My biggest class at Centenary was freshman English, 25 people. My smallest was uh, a sociology class, was just me and the professor, <laughs> and that happened twice. And they, and, You're yeah, lucky. Yeah. I mean, they, they weren't going to cancel the class. They needed the class to graduate. So right. he and I would meet across the street at Strong's okay. and have strawberry pie. And that sounds fun. There was no missing class, and there was no missing a paper. <laughs> right, you know, right. You, so you liked Louisiana, I guess, when yeah, you Yeah, I fell here. in love with Louisiana. Um I fell in love with the people of Louisiana. It just seemed like it was easy to, mm-hmm. to you know, to do things. And uh, um, so, when you met with Wilson, did he want you to be in Lafayette, or were you staying no, in North Louisiana? He didn't did, care where I lived. He, didn't he just wanted, yeah, because he said, "Look, we're going to put you in a car, and you're going to travel right. to your your clients. So, it doesn't live where you want to live." Um, and then uh, it was not long after that that I met a half French, half Spanish redhead from New Iberia. So that's what brought me to Lafayette. She can't get north of I-10. I so um, I've got her as close to I-10 as she's uh-huh. going to get. And so you stayed here once yeah, you moved. Uh-huh. And, and loved Lafayette. Yeah. So I've lived in I lived in Shreveport. I've lived in Monroe. I've lived in New Orleans. Uh, but love Lafayette. Uh-huh. And, uh, and continue to love Lafayette. So... You moved here. I'm just trying to think how we transition this. There's so many things that you do, and I, I had no idea what an industrial psychologist was. And Kelly, my daughter, and I were talking about it, and I said, Brent's the best one to explain it. But you really, I don't know that you fix people, but you work with people to improve performance yeah, so in all age groups, Yeah, too. so it's not clinical psychology. So You, you know, don't I, sit here and analyze <clears throat> me like maybe you do. But. No, I'm not going to. No, I don't analyze you. I'm not, I'm not trained to ask you about your childhood mm-hmm. or, you know, what's impacting you on a you know, daily basis. What, what we look to do are what are the behaviors that are going on with your employees that lead to financial results? Or performance results. Mm-hmm. So we look at things like uh, sales. So what do you? It, this the, there's a science around sales. Who are your people seeing? Who are the, do, are they looking at the right kind of customers? The customers that you want to have. Uh, are they avoiding the customers you don't want to have? Are they? Are they? Do they have the right communication skills? Do they have the right thinking skills? So there's a lot of learning and development, a lot of training that goes on in that. But there's all, uh, also a lot of one-on-one coaching, and there's some organizational aspects to it. Like how many people is the right number of people to supervise on a team? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how many? Uh, what kind of things should we have in our strategy that's about um, our employee culture and in culture of engagement? So the really big topic right now with most of our clients, uh, even during the pandemic and prior to the pandemic, is getting people engaged. It's the, it's the first time that we've had four generations of, uh, in, in our workforce. So we've got everything from baby boomers to yeah. Gen Xers, Gen Yers, and whatever the next one is. Uh-huh. Um, you've got it, and they all have different ways that they approach work. The boomers don't care if they work seventy hours a week, but the younger generations are looking are looking to work about thirty, maybe thirty one hours a week, and that's about it. And get paid for forty. Um, the, uh, oh, what's wrong with that? Uh, yeah, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Uh, the um, 
Isn't that funny, though, how just a you know, few years difference and a totally different outlook on life? Exactly. Yeah. The George Floyd uh, incident has raised the whole diversity and inclusion. We've, we've seen in our client base a tenfold increase on appointing somebody to be the head of diversity and inclusion for our company, somebody who wakes up every day thinking nothing but diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion mm-hmm. and how to do that, which leads to we're starting to use SimSoc and some of those experiences to companies. I don't think there's a, a better time in history to be thinking about SimSoc when we're in a <laughs> pandemic and everything's going on. And so we have a number of companies, because of their diversity and inclusion efforts, are including SimSoc as a way to get all wow. their employees to be thinking differently yeah. about different uh, mm-hmm. economic groups. Um, you know, my husband represents Walmart, and he has for decades. You know, he's a lawyer. And they have been uh, focused on that for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's had to go for years. They go meet at least once a year, but then there's webinars and different things. And it was so far back, it's before people were really talking about that. But they understood, you know, that when you have different voices at the table, the company does so much better. Yes. I mean, they got it. <clears throat> and John learned, but it was kind of a culture shock for him. And I hate to say that because he, he was open to it, but he just had never thought about do my actions impact others in ways that I don't even see? Right. You know, it's not intentional, but it's all of us do that. So I guess you going in, you can analyze the dynamics probably pretty easily from the outside, huh? watching how people interact. If you listen to employees, they'll tell you. They and, do? Yeah, that, uh, they'll tell you. And uh, and that's one of the things that we do is not, you know, of course we listen to the executives. We want to find out what we want, but we want to take the pulse of employees. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing the yeoman's work here. So, you know, what is it they need? Uh, we have a casino client on the East Coast, and, and when they started their diversity and inclusion work, uh, and I, I they, they've been a client for a number of years, they reached out to me and said, of all the people you've met in our company, who would you choose to be? head of our diversity and inclusion, I recommended somebody, and they weren't even thinking about that. <clears throat> they were thinking about a white guy. <clears throat> and uh, I said, no, you need you need to think about this African-American black male who's worked in your food and beverage department and, and knows everybody, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's smart. He's credible. And he's credible. Yeah. And uh, uh, no, don't put a white guy in that uh, thing, because all of you guys in the C-suite, you're Corporate, you're all white already, so no, you're not going to have any credibility with this kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, and they did, and it's uh, so far it's been a very it's successful. Out. Yeah, I mean they're they're making some real strides. So what they found out with their employees wanted time off, not to have time off to go home, time off to do community projects, oh. like help load the food bank, like put together bicycles for kids who don't have bicycles. And so they put together all these programs. So on your day off, come help us load a food truck. Come help us put together bicycles. Oh, wow. Load up the Santa sacks. And employees are just digging it. Mm-hmm. And that builds camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, outside of work. Yeah. And they they would have never thought about oh. that unless Ed had said, "Let me let me ask you what you want, where you want to go with this." And now so, is that hard? You, <clears> we were talking about the baby boomers. Thinking seventy hours a week is acceptable, and millennials, you know, and others wanting less—that's a lot of working out, you know, expectations, right? Because that's probably paid time where they're going to. Uh, is it paid? I mean, usually the employers are paying them, even though they're in, going to do community work. In in some cases, yes, but mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, the employees are taking their own PTO. They off. take their own time. Yeah. 
That's and, and then take their kids along with them to help uh-huh. them do that. Right. They just see that as a part of what they're supposed to do for their community. Right. It's uh, pretty how amazing. Did, how did you learn all this? I mean, was this part of your business background, or did the group you're affiliated with teach you? How did you figure out these best practices? So a combination of things. You know, one is when you run a company for eight years, you learn a lot about people and, and the reasons they do things. And so uh, uh, Louisiana Tech has a really good graduate program in this and so learning from them was helpful um the the other thing is wilson learning really believes in investing with their people so wilson learning has 180 workshops and seminar i've probably taken 150 of them Mm -hmm. and so and then i'm certified to teach about 90 of them um i got a chance to go to disney university early in my career with wilson learning and do some train the trainer so learn from a lot of yeah. those folks. Um, read all the time. So I, I belong to a club called the Next Big Idea Club, and it's a group of um, of authors, Adam Grant, Lencioni, folks who write about business stuff, who pick out two books every quarter, send it to their, their uh, members, and um, and it's probably books I would have never picked up in mm-hmm. reading and, and doing things, but they're fascinating books about stuff. The the one I just got through reading is about high conflict, not just regular conflict that all human beings have that we know how to kind of navigate through, but polarizing conflict like the kind we're experiencing in our company, mm-hmm. our country right now, and uh, and how to deal with that and the and the ways to do it. And there's not a lot of new ideas. Some of those ideas were taken from Bill Urey with the Harvard Negotiation Project, um, Negotiating to Yes, Getting Past No, mm-hmm. all of his books. Uh, but some of them were brand new ideas about how not to demonize your opponent and how not to think of them really as an opponent because people do things for a reason. But mm-hmm. but so th- just keeping up on those. And uh, I've learned a lot from our clients. Our clients have taught me a ton of stuff of what they're doing. And, yeah. and uh, so, but it's, it's never ending. I'm always surprised at, uh, th- that things that companies will try and do. And if they don't work, that's fine. Let's figure out a way to make them work. And if they do mm-hmm. work, let's keep it going. But I guess the core principles that you learned way back are still solid. Yeah. So times change. I mean, maybe circumstances change like COVID, but people are people. People are people. I'm reminding our clients right now, especially the ones that are dealing with trying to find as many employees as they can. First of all, COVID forced them back in April and made them lay them off, furlough people. And now they got to hire them back. And and, and I said, this is the best time to go and look at your corporate values, the things that you you believe in and act on every day. Make sure those are solid and hire to those values. Don't deviate from those values because if you do, it'll be a miserable and horrible experience. Stop hiring people because they can fog a mirror up. Make sure that you validate those values and you're Mm -hmm. interviewing toward those values because that'll make your life a lot easier in the future. You won't have to fire, we we don't call it fire, we call it liberate. Mm-hmm. You won't have to liberate yourself from non-performers. You'll have a you'll actually mm-hmm. be more profitable in the in the back end. And you guide them in, in figuring out their core values. Yeah, so a matter of fact, we uh, during COVID me and uh, and another guy Bob McKechnie uh, actually wrote a, a virtual course on how to do that. We call mm-hmm. it hire 
uh, for workplace and retain for workplace and and uh, you can you can purchase the seven module course and learn how to do it yourself because a lot of these companies can't afford a consultant to come in right and so and we want to help them and so if they if they um, take that course they'll learn how to identify their values valid question and validate for those values and and even think that they even, should be thinking you know it's a transformational yeah. process because right. a lot of people say okay I need four servers. Where am I going to get servers? Okay, I'm going to stick a sign outside, okay? And so now now who, who who's walking around to see a sign outside? Well, people who don't have cars because they're walking around, okay? <laughs> so they come in and they apply for the job, and they wonder, why. well, I can't find anybody. Uh, to, you know, so where are all these people? And I know a lot of them are blaming the unemployment office or, or the, yeah, the stimulus, the stimulus yeah. package. But here's what's really interesting. This week, I've talked to five people that are thinking about quitting their job and going off on their own. I'm not surprised. They've been working at these places for a while. Mm-hmm. They're just tired. They're overwhelmed. They've been, one of them said, you know, our company has given bonuses to new hires. What about a bonus to me? Mm-hmm. I'm the one who didn't quit on them. How about a $1,000 bonus to me? Yeah. And so that, she said, that got me thinking, I think I'll just go start my own business. I'll be better off. Yeah. Not have to put up with this. And you know, she may or may not be, but finding out is part of the journey. Absolutely. Kelly and I just drove across the country and we we were in Albuquerque and Kelly, my daughter's here. Was this like a Thelma and Louise kind it of thing? It was. We okay. didn't go off the cliff, but <laughs> I did end up with a cracked windshield. But anyway, we were eating in Albuquerque and we had the best meal downtown. And the waitress that was there Okay, they had pies in the front that were home-baked, and she served the food. She cleaned the table. She checked us out, and it was really her. Mm -hmm. And then the chef, you know, in the back. And so it was 2 o'clock, and she was telling me, I said, boy, the pies were good. She goes, thank you. I made them. She made the pies. And then I said, well, you about to get off? She goes, well, I was going to get off, but we're going to be here till 11 tonight, and nobody showed up for the next shift. She's worked there. Did she say 30-something years. I mean, she looked great. I don't know how she kept that attitude. But she was keeping the the show going, and I thought she probably could just have opened up her own little place, but she's an employee. She's, you know, she's loyal. But I thought in today's market, things are just so upside down. So if I was the owner of that place, I would be saying, okay, what what are the four things that she's got? Because I need to go duplicate that for everybody else. Yeah. Because if I had 10 of her, think what what kind of place we would have. Dynamic. Yeah, or even five of them. She said they can't hire people, though. Yeah. Maybe he's not asking the right questions. He's probably not asking the right questions. Yeah. And not, th- and not thinking in that way. He's just thinking about, hey, you got any restaurant bit, uh, know. experience? You know, can you serve? Can but you- she did say she never got a bonus. Like people, the governor was looking at giving bonuses to people to do this and that. And I said, you didn't get any bonus, did you? And she's like, no. No stimulus. She's still yeah. making the same money and just tips that she made. And she's just one person. Right. But it really shown the light for me like what's going on out there yeah because you know especially in the service industry I mean it's really tough and she has to work I mean she's still raising a family and you know I'm sure she's got people underfoot she seemed like she'd be that type but so I think yeah especially for the service industry right now it's tough and I and here's my fear is that they're just going to go hire a bunch of people and Customer service is going to really. It can fog suck. up a mirror, as you put it. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to suck. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, and so uh, I'm telling everybody. My uh, my youngest daughter, 
uh, is a server at Bonefish Grill. She loves it. She's got all the DNA oh, yeah. of, of working mm-hmm. in that industry. She used to be a trainer for Chili's. I mean, she's been in the service industry. She's a terrific server. The um, um, But she's got people around her, you know, and Bonefish does a really good job of, of, of getting good people because they realize that one thing, there are certain things that they cannot teach them. They can teach them menu. They can teach them food service. Mm-hmm. But it's like at Disney when I was there, we figured out we, we can't teach friendly. So we changed our, our whole interviewing process. Instead of interviewing somebody, we made them go through a 30-second audition of show friendly. <laughs> and if you can't show friendly, you don't get the interview. So you had to show friendly. Now, you know, you would, you'd pass. You'd get the interview. You'd think. Yeah. Yeah, because you're laughing. You know? But we had people up there saying, oh, I've never been friendly in my life. I don't know what friendly is. Well, so, thank you okay, very much th- for thank coming. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> don't let yeah. the screen door hit you. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's the friendliest place on earth. So why we need to be interviewing friendly? And it is. Yeah. You don't want like a princess is grumpy. Well, you never you see know. Cinderella smoking a cigarette, do no, you? Nope. No. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and so, you know, we, we're looking for friendly. <laughs> it's the same thing in all of our small businesses. What are you looking for? And, yeah. and uh, not just experience, but, uh, the, the you know, the... Untangible things. Are they friendly? Can yeah. they have, can they conduct a the conversation? Soft skills, as they say. Yeah, soft. We call it soft skills or the hard skills. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can you uh, uh, can you anticipate a customer's needs, or 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 are you more focused on your device rather than if they need more tea or water? Uh-huh. And so, it's those kinds of things. And yeah. so, um, so important though, it makes the world go round. Makes the world whether go it's round. Disney or a law firm or. Or, you know the pyramid group. Or, look what you do, or a trucking company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a we. One of our trucking clients is we actually teach the drivers customer service skills. So when they, you know, take the paperwork into the secretary, who who's the who's the person you want to be nicest to in any company? I the think secretary. the secretary that yeah. works with the head. You know, right? Because the, the CEO says, "Well, who is mean to you today, and who is nice yeah, to you?" Yeah, she's today? the gatekeeper. Right. And so we taught our truck. You know, all of our our truckers, our drivers. Uh, be nice to the secretary. Take the paperwork in. Make sure you're clean. Don't you know? You know, take that, get that oil off your hands. Mm-hmm. You know, smile at them. Say, you know, thank you for doing business. And so they love that trucking company because the secretary loves working with those drivers. Right. It all and, matters. And she can tell you. She can tell you which trucking company not to work with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it all matters. We have some more I want to get into, but first I'd like to pause, Brent, as we look back on an interview with Dustin Artigo and Rodney Hess about Innovate South. I know you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. They help entrepreneurs, startup founders, and small business owners come together to learn and share innovative best practices. You can hear this interview and many others on discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. We have a great open door policy that you don't see in a lot of other communities where we bring in these companies and CEOs of high level companies or LGH or Canadian companies are willing to open their doors and sit down and meet with them. And we're getting the medical device or the product that they're offering in those people's hands and they're giving them direct feedback on that, uh-huh. which is very difficult to get. Uh, you know, from almost any other community. And that's not coming from me. This is coming from medical companies that we've brought in who have said, you have a fantastic open door policy. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that if we can get them here, then we can show them all these things and it makes it much more likely that we can recruit them and have them start here in Lafayette. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Brent Henley. 
So let's talk about SimSock if we can. Mm -hmm. And I think it applies to so many things that you do. I was thinking it was just something that was done with our local Chamber of Commerce, but I know the principles probably override everything you do, but this is a simulated society. Yeah, so it, you know, SimSock was actually uh, created uh, for uh, the classroom. Um, the, the guy who wrote it, uh, Gamson, was a professor of sociology at the University of Michigan, and he had gotten a PhD in game theory, so he was interested in, in playing games with his students. Uh, but <laughs> University of Michigan hired him to teach sociology 101, so he turned it around and he created a simulation where the students played uh, societal concepts. He was uh-huh. able to write it into a, a, a face-to-face interactive game. It's in its fifth edition, 22 languages. I mean, it's it's kind of everywhere. Uh, it's mostly taught at, at universities in their sociology departments. We um, we really brought started. I went through it when I went through Leadership Shreveport Bossier mm-hmm. when I was working for that VC firm. Um, I got to be a certified facilitator when my professor at Centenary, who was running SimSoc, decided he didn't want to do it anymore. He wanted to write a book, and he called me up and said, can I teach you to do it? You're the only one I think could do this. I said, great. So he was only he was doing leadership Shreveport and I think leadership Vicksburg and so I thought well I, I'm going to start a consulting company I might as well broadly distribute this right. started calling all the different chambers across the the South picked up a bunch of a, a, a bunch of uh, clients leadership Lafayette being one of them uh, Rob Gidry who was head of the chamber at the time you know Rob he was using a different guy out of Florida found out I you know I could do it right and I was here. close I'm right here so yeah. switched off. Um, and we just grew it, um, and uh, uh, and it's been it's been terrific. I think uh, the, the you've been through it. You've been through mm-hmm. it. The the learnings you get from that. I, I think the perspective that people walk out of there with is mm-hmm. completely different. And um, it's it re- like on a two day, two and a half day retreat. Where yeah. we all we used to go to Roberts Cove. I don't know what they're doing now. With yeah. The COVID, so but. Leadership Lafayette goes to Hammond or Episcopal okay. Retreat Center near Robert, Louisiana, okay. yeah. and, and uh, uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of our chambers do it in an overnight retreat mm-hmm. as their opening. Because um, you have to be away, kind of, to get to know each other, and also just. Not be distracted with you know local concerns. Exactly. Um, I posted I posted on Facebook last night uh, that SimSock is poor, probably more relevant today than it's ever been because of all the yeah. stuff that's going on in the world. Well, can you explain to people what SimSock is? Sure. Like kind of in a, a big picture overview. Yeah. So the purpose of SimSock is to create a successful community, and what we do is we place people in different roles. Mm-hmm. Some are political. Some are business roles. Some are uh, communication roles and uh, and they're also placed in different economic groups that's what I remember yeah. some of the people that really were higher socioeconomic they were put in the the they're, poor group yeah in a so, room that was hot with no air conditioning I do yeah I do I do some role reversal so you know <laughs> I remember that very Jan well. if you're an attorney you're probably going to get put in the poor group I and, was I was like a mediator I was kind of the, oh, you were the you, I don't know you're like, head of media something like yeah. I was kind of the one that kumbaya yeah you know? so you yeah, might have been head of media yeah. so obviously saw your communication skills oh, no. and 
wanted to use those. But I remember some of my friends just being so mad. They, well, they were angry. Yeah, because the room you know, was hot and yeah, they didn't have any any pull. They didn't have any air conditioning. They're poor. <laughs> you know, poor people don't have air conditioning. So the uh, I shouldn't laugh. But no, but it, but it's true. And then you know, I put people who are heads of nonprofits. They get to be rich. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, a real role. Reversal. Yeah, so it's a real role reversal, and 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 we want them to uh, because if you put them in their own comfort mm-hmm. zones, it's not going to work. So you want to stretch out. And they get to experiment and try new things, and and there's a currency, and they have to see if they can make this economy work. And it is as much of an economic mm-hmm. simulation as it is a social simulation. But those two are intertwined. You you can't have an economy without people. And so, in order to make this economy work, how are you going to get people to collaborate? Mm-hmm. And so, one of the lessons I think that comes out of SimSoc is that. We're only as strong as our weakest link. Mm-hmm. And if we have high unemployment, that's going to have an impact on us. If we have people who are sick all the time, that's going to have a, a negative impact on, on us. So we need people to have opportunities and be able to move up and, and to earn money. And that's one of the big lessons that comes out of that. So with Leadership Lafayette in particular here, um, it's a almost a year-long program where you learn about different parts of the society, including mm-hmm. the jail system and you know, politics and all the business, everything you were talking about. So I guess this kind of breaks down some of our preconceived notions when you go through SimSoc first. Right. And you do have to learn everybody's name, too. That yeah. was hard. Yeah. Going yeah. around the room. <laughs> yeah, but when you uh, when you come out of that retreat, you know everybody's names. Everybody. Yeah, and you, and you know things about people that you didn't know before. And yeah. You, and, you're, and you've bonded as a group. And, yeah. And now you're ready to go through the monthly experiences as, mm-hmm. a, as a different person. Yeah, I enjoyed leadership. Um, I know Kelly here did the junior leadership mm-hmm. program when she was a junior in high school. And it's life-changing. And the friends I made, and I know Kelly made... They're, they're, I think they're going to be lifelong friends. You know? I, I tell I tell my wife Tammy because we've talked about you know if we lived here if we lived there you know I said I do not want to live in a community that doesn't have a strong community leadership program because those are the most informed people. I mean you think about um, you know we've got a couple of city council people who we've got some school board members these are all graduates of leadership yeah. life yeah we boards and commissions people who are on nonprofit boards. Mm-hmm. Um, People who just do good things and not they're not in a elected official position or a, or a yeah. board position, but they're they're good. They make better neighbors and they make it makes mm-hmm. for a better community. Is this pretty common around the country to have leadership programs? Most most communities of any size uh, have a good community uh, a good community leadership programs. Um, we also do SimSoc at the university level. Uh, I'm on the faculty at the uh, University of Georgia's Carl Vinson Institute of Government. And Georgia has an interesting law, Jane, you might be interested in this. So if you're a county commissioner or a city council person, you you are required by law to go through a two-day orientation at the University of Georgia um, called Newly Elected. Mm -hmm. And if you fail to do it, if you fail to do that, you have I think you have eighteen months or two years to get that certification. If you fail to do that, you're recalled from office and, and, and a new election is held. And that two days is spent. I like that. Yeah, two that two days is spent how to read a budget, mm-hmm. what you can and cannot do, how to keep yourself out of jail, um, all of those kind of things. And so when they walk out of there, they've gotten onboarding. For how to be an elected official in Georgia. Right. Probably keeps them out of trouble, though, like you're saying. They yeah. may not know what's ethical and unethical. Exactly. Because so. a lot of them get elected to pave a road. Yeah. 
And then they realize I can't pave the road because it's private. So now what I'm going to do? I find Georgia to be quite like us, but this doesn't sound like Louisiana, this part. I think we should have this kind of thing. But I've, I've, I've talked to LMA. I've talked to uh, other I've, I've talked to Bobby Jindal. I've talked to other people. There, there's a leadership institute at LSU that could do this, but they're not wired to do it. Anyway, mm-hmm. University of North Carolina has this program. Georgia has this program. Washington has this program. Florida has this program. For the elected officials. Yeah, newly elected. Uh-huh. Um, if you go in Georgia, if newly elected, you complete that. Then they have an advanced leadership program. And if you finish the advanced leadership program, the state of Georgia will pay you an extra 100 bucks a month. For that, so financial incentive to go to the advance. The advance is a week long course on leadership, and we do SimSoc as one of those you days. Do. Yeah, because uh, those those elected officials need to know not only the districts that they represent, but the entire county or the entire mm-hmm. city that they represent. And those people come out changed when they go through SimSoc. So you make it a microcosm. Uh, they make it a microcosm of that particular. Uh, of that event, state or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So if you come from a poor county, I'm going to put you in the rich group. Mm-hmm. If you come from a rich county, I'm going to put you in the poor group. Yeah, but that does open their eyes. Yeah. If if you've never run a business before, you're getting ready to run a business in Simsoc. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you hate the media, and I can tell if you hate the media when I get there, I'm going to put you the head of media because you're going to be media. <laughs> and, and this role reversal creates a whole new perspective of people. So. Um, and we've done this at not only uh, at Georgia, we've done it at uh, in North Carolina, at UNC North Carolina. We've done it in Florida. We've done it in Washington. But mm-hmm. these government programs, especially elected official programs, are ripe for yeah. this kind of change. You really enjoy those, don't you? Yeah. I love SimSoc. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So with the COVID issues, you know, hitting all of this, we briefly touched on it. What types of advice... Um, do you give employers? We were talking before we started taping about a lot of times the problems were pre-existing, and COVID just made it seem worse. But if the underlying management and the the people at the top aren't running a good ship, it, it's not necessarily COVID related. It's just the way that they manage things. Yeah, and now COVID has exposed those kinds of things, yeah, right? And yeah. so um, I didn't say that quite right, but I'm, I mean th- those problems didn't just come about because people had to stay at home. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, some employers just weren't ready for the whole lockdown thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 we we heard examples of employers saying you cannot stay at home, you have to come into the office. And then and people were in cubicles. And so then we saw employees self-regulate themselves, and they just liberated themselves from those companies. They just quit. And then employers were, well, don't people need jobs? Well, no, they're not going to put their safety at, at risk. Right, right. And, they, and some of them just weren't prepared for that. But for a lot of our clients, what we did right after the lockdown happened, we called them all and said, <clears throat> if let Let's get on some Zoom calls and let's talk about what's about to happen here because we've seen we saw this before right after 9/11 on the eastern seaboard. And what we what we saw was that when people got knocked off their plateau, uh, their energy dispersed. They were no longer engaged, committed. All of a sudden their energy went from either overwhelmed mm-hmm. and and uh, and starting to burn out. Uh, to wait and see. And uh, I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to volunteer for anything. I'm not going to ask for anything because 
they know the answers and they're going to come tell me what they want me to know. And that led to rust out, people just not honing their skills. And if you're overwhelmed and, and you feel overwhelmed, you're going to burn out. We, we've, we're seeing a lot of burnout right now after mm-hmm. the last 18 months. Uh, these five people who talked to me this week about changing, quit, changing yeah. their job, yeah. they're burned out. They're just, they were just overwhelmed. And so we talk a lot to our clients about how do you get that energy back? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you have to do is um, you have to, first of all, understand what your own self-talk is. Because we all talk to ourselves, right? So what are the messages I'm telling myself? And then we have to teach a number of people in the organization how to help others when they see people that need help. And you know, and if, and if I, for example, saw that you weren't your same old Jan Swift self, mm-hmm. I need to take the, the initiative and go, Jan, what are you telling yourself? What's going on here? And talk it out. And if you talk it out, you're going to be able to help people release some of that steam or that frustration or that, uh, or uh, the uh, uh, all of the things that they're going through. Mm-hmm. A lot of employers just wouldn't let people talk it out, and so all they had to do, kind of, it was to deal with this internally, and that's not the right way to do it. We would hold, uh, we would hold them it, it just employee round circles virtually, and, and you know, and I would just answer, ask one question. Tell me what you're thinking. So you would do it by Zoom, like just get people on. Yeah, tell were me. They, were they candid? Yeah, they were candid. Tell me what you're thinking. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to have the same job I had before? Mm-hmm. They're asking me to do the job of two to three people. What do I do? Um, the, uh, uh, you know, should I believe the government? Should I believe my own company? Uh, am I still going to get that raise they promised? I mean, they had more questions than there were answers. Mm-hmm. And so we would collect those and, t- and, s- and take them back to management and say, let's figure out the response to some of these. If the response is, I don't know, that's the response. Right. I don't know. If the response is, I do know this, then let's tell them. Let's be as transparent as possible. And, our, and the clients that did that are much better off today than the clients that didn't do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Because their employees have a, a, a great deal of trust for them. I'm assuming you deal with larger companies that invest in these type of things, and probably the mom and pops though need to do this as much as others. They well, really I, depend on their employees. Yeah, and that's why we create a virtual course yeah. where yeah. you know you don't have to afford a consultant. You can go uh, mm-hmm. do some self learning on that. And uh, um, but yeah, they everybody needs that. But the and the thing is is that. There's still lots of resources out there available for small to medium-sized businesses about doing it. Part of the problem is when you're working 70 hours a week running a small to medium business, you're tired when you get home. There's not Sometimes you just don't want to pick up a book or read an article. You're just ready to pop open a glass of wine or a beer and watch yeah. some TV. And uh, but, but if you can be disciplined by spending 15 to 20 minutes at a time on learning something new about that day, over over a month period, you'll have it all done. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thinks I have to take this course. Well, I have to sit down for eight hours. Well, who? No one's going to do that. So, no, you don't do that. You just you just unbundle it and you know right. spend fifteen to twenty minutes each day doing right. it. Right? Are there simple things that employers can ask themselves if they're listening to this and wondering, well, maybe I should be looking into you know getting some help from my my company, my employees? Are there some s- kind of basic things that 
typically rise to the surface that need to be addressed? Make sure your HR department is not the only department that's doing the recruiting in your company. Um, I tell CEOs that you're, you're responsible for the recruiting of your company, not your HR department. You, you know the values. You know the vision of what you're trying to take out. You need to be looking for people just as hard as the HR department's looking for people. Tell your HR department to go talk to your people. Get out of their, get out of their suite. Go to the lunchroom and talk to people. And, and then come back to me and tell me what, what people are saying. Um, the uh, also is is uh, li- listen to what people really need today. We we have one client that's decided starting on August first they're going to go to a four day work week, oh. and the employees get to pick the schedule. You get to pick the days you want off. You get three days off. You get you know you can have Saturdays. They're a twenty four seven seven day a week company, but you get you're going to work ten hours, so you know it's a ten hour shift, and. Um, but you're going to work four days. We're not going to have any overtime. You're going to work four days. But you come in, and and but it made the HR department be the people who are serving the employees mm-hmm. rather than the employees serving the HR department. Right, right. And now the HR department has to figure out scheduling along with supervisors and others to do mm-hmm. these kinds of things. Employee uh, morale is just shot up. Was that employee-driven? That changed to four days? The, the CEO went and listened to employees. He, mm-hmm. he walked the floor and said, okay, it's weird times. What do you want? More time off. Yep. Okay, let's figure this out. It's hard when you work Monday through Friday. You know, I mean, it sounds like I guess people work different days, but it's hard to get to the doctor and get things done. Exactly. When you're working yeah, that much. Because people were saying, well, you want me to get vaccinated? I don't have time to get to the doctor. What do I do when my kids are sick? Um my husband and I really like to have three days in a row to go off so we can go up to Arkansas and, yeah. and uh, you know, just you know chill. Um, wouldn't it be great if I could sleep late tomorrow? You know, I mean, things like this. This mm-hmm. is what they heard. And so he didn't want to, and he saw where competitors were losing people because they weren't listening to their employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, I don't want to lose these employees. I've invested a lot in them. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to try this. I'm glad the employees trusted him enough to be honest. Yeah. But maybe that's the culture that he had set. Yeah, it's their know. culture, transparency. Because I did another interview I mentioned to you with Tessa Brown and Michelle Robertson, and they do this, you know, similar mm-hmm. to what you're doing. They work directly with employers. And uh, they said a lot of times the employees are asked to be honest, but they, they don't really trust that it's a safe space that has <clears throat> to be established first, that right. you're not going to get canned because you've have a criticism or two, you know, or, or suggestions. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because if, if if that's happened in the past, I can tell you that that's going on in the that's being communicated in the break room. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, you know, they'll hey look, employ, uh, employees get uh, two types of onboarding. They get the official onboarding from HR and then they get the unofficial onboarding from the from the, the others. employees in the break room. Uh-huh. They say that, but this yeah. is what they really yeah. mean. Yeah, so <laughs> I know they told you that in onboarding, but let me tell you how it really works around here, okay? Yeah. Oh, and so that yeah. and so who do you believe? Well, you're going to believe your workers, your coworkers. coworkers, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I had an experience when I was in high school um, 
of working at a shopping cart factory. This is a this is a factory that makes the shopping carts. You've done some interesting things. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, my, my dad was chief of surgery at a hospital. I was hoping he could get me a job in the hospital, you know, like being an orderly so yeah. I could, you know, hang out with the nurse's station and all that kind of stuff. And I never worked out. No, I know a guy who works at a shopping cart factory. So <laughs> this is hot work. It's, it's standing across an assembly line where all of the rods of the shopping cart come down and, the, and then you you pull this arc welder down it's it's on hinges you All pull day. it down and 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 when the green light comes on you can lift oh, it God. off and and all the intersections are done and it goes to another mm-hmm. assembly area where they put a cart down you still have all your fingers i still have all yeah, my fingers yeah. yeah i had gloves and all that kind of stuff it's hot and sweaty i'm there for the summer it's a unionized environment um my my first three days i'm killing it i am killing it and the supervisor is high-fiving me. Man, you're making everything. Oh, man, we got more. Yeah, we got all kinds of stuff. It's a bright future for and you. And then I got met in the parking lot. You were working too hard. Yeah, I was too good. Mm-hmm. These guys who had been there for 20 years, no, boy, tomorrow you're going to slow it down because you're making us look bad. Because, you know, in August you're going to be gone. Right. And, and they're going to use you as the example of how all of us should do this. How did you handle that? Um, yes, sir. That's exactly what I'll do. I'll slow down. Oh, God. Yeah. What am I going to do? Get killed? I know. You know, there's five of them. Bunch of thugs. <laughs> oh, no. You're right. I'm, I'm slowing down tomorrow, but I'm going to be retarded mm-hmm. after this. So, oh, you know, yeah. You think people still make shopping carts, or is that all uh, automated? It's all, ro- it's all robotic. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's life, though. Huh? That's life. You That's want to be gung-ho, and then... You're affecting other people without even realizing. So it. I have uh, told one of our clients not long ago they're bringing on a new uh, person, and I said, uh, make sure that he does not get trained by Joe, because Joe is toxic, and you'll end up. So how many people got? Tra- think about. I want to ask your audience: How many of you got trained by toxic Joe? Oh yeah. Just because he, he's been there 40 years, we think, okay, he knows, he can teach you the skews, he can teach you this, he can teach you cynical. that. Cynical. Yeah, cynical. And then and then all of a sudden you realize you've got, boy, another, another cynical employee. Mm-hmm. And then I want to ask our audience another question. How many times have you liberated your company from a toxic employee and you asked yourself the question, why did I not do it sooner? Mm-hmm. It's hard, though. It is you really hard. You know it's hard, hard Brent. And it, but if you if you know what your non negotiable mm-hmm. uh, behaviors are, if you know what your non negotiable values are, as soon as that happens, it makes it so much easier yeah. to liberate yourself from that. You know what, Zach Barker. You know Zach. Mm-hmm. He moved yeah, on. Zach's moved great on to guy. Colorado. But one of the things he taught me through the Opportunity Machine was, you know, if you think about a football team, like they've got positions that they play, mm-hmm. and once they find their place. That's where you want the best players to be. But you don't want, like, Tom Brady being the kicker or, you know, a linebacker trying to be the quarterback. It's like you've got to get the right people in the right positions. And it's okay if not everybody can do it, you know, handle a position. They're good people. Yeah, it's just the wrong fit. It's just the wrong fit. Because when I thought about that, like, you wouldn't criticize Tom Brady for not being good at kicking because that's not really what he's good at. Yeah, that's and why. he might be. I mean, he's pretty good at everything. but <laughs> Yeah, he might be a good kicker. Yeah. Who knows? The, uh, uh, that's why Jim, in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he yeah. talks about the right people in the right mm-hmm. seats on the bus. And and, and 
Uh, and I know how difficult it is for employers right now when you're thinking, man, I need somebody to work that night shift and I just don't have anybody because I'm working it as the yeah. as the owner. And um, and how hard it is to to uh, take your time at finding the right person who meets those mm. attributes that you're looking for and how challenging that can be. But uh, in the long run, it's, it's going to do yeah. better for you instead of letting somebody mm. go and then have to pay unemployment again. Yeah. So. I, just, I bet that HR people have some great stories to share, though. You know, there's some funny things that happen over the years when they're interviewing or once they hire someone and you realize, oh, bad decision, huh? Right. And yeah. So I guess you're there to help counsel them. Yeah. Or it, how, it, to, how to, what do you call it? Liberate. Liberate. Yeah. Liberate yourself from these people who are not going to help you. <laughs> the uh, And sometimes the toughest ones are the family businesses where yeah. they feel obligated to hire the nephew or their mm-hmm. niece or something like that. And you just know they're not going to work out. Some of them do, but some of them don't. And HR, yeah, HR, attend to Sherm Luncheon. They'll, you can hear some stories about yeah. All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get into? We didn't really talk. We just have a couple of minutes. But your book, Nexus Initiative. Yeah. So, hey, I, I want to give kudos to the Broussard Chamber. They decided to become what's called a Nexus Chamber. Uh, and so what that means is they use all of the uh, um, the tenets and, and uh, tips in my uh, book uh, to help uh them grow the chamber in membership. And mm-hmm. so basically it's a, it's buy local on steroids, but it's not buy local. It's buy from chamber members. So it's chamber members helping other chamber members grow their business, mm-hmm. giving them referrals, uh, you know, letting them uh, use places in their place of business. I mean, doing some really creative mm-hmm. things. And so twice pre-pandemic, twice a year, we would hold a Nexus forum where we bring the chamber members together and teach them how to exchange business cards in the proper way. In an effective networking way. In an effective way. networking way. Mm-hmm. Just not show up at a networking event and go hang out with your buddies. Right. Um, and what kind of questions to ask. And then we also use the chamber ambassadors to be at the Broussard Chamber events and direct people to tables of people they don't know. Because we don't want people to tribalize at yeah. luncheons and breakfasts with people they know. We're gonna. I'm going to go introduce you to someone you may not mm-hmm. know. And at that luncheon, you guys are going to exchange business cards and what you're doing. And so that way you get to know other chamber members and can effectively mm-hmm. talk about you. Everybody in our communities want to be the person that knows that person who can get stuff done. That's a, it, it, and in South Louisiana, we love to be able to talk to people about, yeah. I know a guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, you need a fence? I know a guy. Yeah. yeah. You need a, need some breaks? I know a guy. Yeah. And we love, we love that. And so that's what we're trying to do at the Bruce Hart Chamber mm-hmm. is to do that. That's so, awesome. And, and, um, the book's still in print. You can still get it at Amazon.com. Yeah, I saw that it's only, from 2010. It's, it's, only, yeah. it's only 100 pages long. I wrote it so that you could read it on a flight from Lafayette to Atlanta. Okay. And because the books are too long. Right. You have 300 pages, and they say the same dang three things. And so. And the bottom line was it's better to give, right? Give it's first. It's all about giving. It's about giving, using the law of human reciprocity. The and more I give, taking. the more I get. Yeah. Yeah. You hear people saying, be a, be a go-getter. I say, be a go-giver. Oh, okay. Be a go-giver. Sounds like a good book. Yeah, it's it's it, it's an easy read. Yeah. So, well, anything else you wanted to mention? No, thank you so much for this oh. opportunity to be able to what a to talk. It's a you know it's a, I, love, I love to share my craft and what I know we're doing. You do. And you do you do a great job. I'm well, so thanks. excited about having you be a guest on our show, Brent Henley, founder of the Pyramid Group um, here in Lafayette. But you work 
all over. I guess well, it doesn't matter where you live because you're you're spreading your good cheer. Yeah, everywhere. I've spent a lot of time in the last uh, eighteen months uh, in in a, with a nice shirt and a pair of shorts at a Zoom meeting. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have. Uh, yeah. But it's uh, hard to get these heels back on and dress <laughs> up. But I'm trying to do it. It's I miss. I feel like I'm more. I'm sharper when I've made an effort. I don't oh, know why it is. Yeah. The physical thing matters for the mental for me. Yeah. I put a button-down shirt on the other day, and I thought, oh, okay. Now I feel yeah, like a professional bad. again. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Zoom has been tough, so I'm glad. I thought we were coming out of it, but we will. Yeah. You know, we, we will. And if people want to know about that virtual course, they go to right, uh, rightpeopleCompany.com. Okay. And that's uh, th- that that portal will... That's a separate uh, yeah. web site from it, your yeah, your we, pyramid group. We created a, a different LLC to handle all that work and uh okay. rightpeoplecompany.com. Company.com. And I'll there's put that a, in my show notes. There's too. a there's a webinar and there's a ebook okay. and yeah, you can Great. go learn stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well thanks for being here and I, I want to thank our listeners. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. And of course our sponsors, Iberi Bank, which is now a part of First Horizon, Oshner Lafayette General. And, of course, Raider and Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. We couldn't do this without you. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, I'm Jan Swift. 